Awesome. Welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Kate, the producer of Pod Rocket. With me today is Nolman Chow, one of Log Rocket's engineers, and also Evan Yu. Evan, welcome. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I have to say, having you come on the show has been the biggest request that Pod Rocket has right. had. So <laughs> we are super excited to have you on. Um, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Cool. Excited to be here. Awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, Noel, do you want to get started? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think just kind of to start with, I feel like I feel like most listeners will probably, you know, be familiar with you and kind of know what it is. Um, I guess if you could give us kind of a quick intro on maybe yourself and who you are, um, that'd be awesome. And then we'll kind of jump into, I have a whole bunch of topics I want to cover, but um, jump into all kinds of stuff from there. Uh, so the whole thing starts, I think the first the first commit on Vue, well, originally it wasn't even called Vue. Uh, it was called CJS. Uh, that was a, just a random name that I picked. Uh, I was I was working at Google back then uh, in New York, and um, we were doing a lot of quick prototypes, iterations, uh, a lot of these explorative UI prototypes. So we needed something to move fast, and uh, I just wanted to build something that allows me to feel comfortable, you know, cranking out stuff fast. Uh, so that was the reason I started looking at Angular, uh, which was used in some of the projects we did, and I felt there are, you know, the the Angular already has this template syntax, and you have this reactive binding between the template and your state. But there are also a lot of other concepts which I just felt I didn't really need. So the initial attempt was really just to replicate a, a reactive templating system, um, but but without all the burden that I didn't want. Uh, also, I wanted to play with the idea of using ES5 getters and setters for a reactivity system. Uh, and back then, because people still wanted to support IE8, um, so a lot of people were like, no, no ES5. <laughs> and I was like, whatever. We only support Chrome in- internally anyway. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, that was the first iteration of Vue, pretty much. Um, but but it was really just a side project. I was just uh, building it in my spare time. It, it, it's more like a, a technical toy in the beginning. It's So I worked on it occasionally, but never really thought about, hey, I want to like push this thing to to be public or anything. But eventually, I guess I started using it in some of the personal projects. And I felt like, oh, like it actually feels, feels pretty good. So I decided to eventually uh, write the documentation and design a logo, switch to new name, uh, found the name Vue, J- Vue was available on NPM. So that was really good. Um, I think all the three-letter names are taken now, but <laughs> it was still available back then. Uh, then I think I published the first version in, in February 2014, and uh, that was the, the beginning. Um, but still, that was just a personal project, really. Yeah, cool, cool. And then I think yeah. kind of, you know, and uh, you moved to Meteor after that and spent some time mm-hmm. there, and then while you were there, you kind of made the jump to start working on Vue full-time. Is that right? Yep, yep. 
Yeah. Were you kind of like nervous at the time? I guess, was there a definitive point where you went like, you know, was there an event that occurred that made you think I should probably make this switch? Or was it kind of like a slower, you just kind of had this creeping feeling that view might be where your future was? Uh, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a slow process. Uh, I, I think the biggest driving factor was burnout at my day job. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, I guess the burnout is also partially caused by the pressure of having to work on an open source project with growing demand in your spare time. So you essentially, I'm, I was essentially working like every hour I was awake. I was either doing my day job or answering issues or fixing bugs in, in Vue. Uh, so I didn't really give myself too much time to to re- to relax. Um, I think that was around 2016. Yeah, uh, late 2015, 2016, early 2016. So that that period of time, I was really burned out. And I was struggling to just feel like I wasn't really feeling fulfilled at my at my day job. And I feel like I'm more alive when I'm working on Vue. So that's the, the biggest reason because, you know, for me, I knew that if I quit into to do any open source full time, I'm probably going to make a lot less money, at least initially. And um and it's not as stable, you know, it's, it's always kind of a leap of faith, but for me being able to just work on it as the, because it's the thing I really want to do, it's a big utility plus. So I was willing to take a pay cut to do it. And, and the worst case scenario is if, you know, after a year, I'm like, no, this is not working. I mean, I can always try to find another job, you know, <laughs> the, the option is always there. So, um, so yeah, I decided to do it in uh, early 2016, and uh, luckily it all worked out. So I never looked back. Yeah, nice, nice. I feel like yeah, it's such like a story that so many devs like love that that whole kind of like oh I you know quit my day job then went to open source and now it funds me and like I think that's why you know people like like hearing you kind of tell it so much. Um, yeah. Cool. I guess did you did you consider kind of any other? Um, like funding sources or anything when you were making that decision, were you like eyeing other projects at the time and seeing what was happening out there as terms of, in terms of open source funding? Uh, yeah. Interestingly, so Rich Harris just got hired by Vercel, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I recall when I was right before I was about to quit, uh, I was actually sending out resumes and basically the, I was sending out a few job applications on, on those like open hiring platforms like uh, Level or s- something like that. Uh, then uh, basically my description was, if you want to hire me, you need to basically, your company must use Vue in your product and I need to spend this amount of time on Vue. So that was a condition in my job application. <laughs> Nobody picked it up. Uh, so So I was like, uh, I, I probably can't use that word here, but I was like, fuck it. Uh, I'm going to do this. Um, and, and yeah, so, so I, I did try. Right. So, um, but, but it was difficult, right. Especially when your when your project is, I think view back then was probably in this lingo of, it has quite some traction. It's a lot of work. It really demands my full-time attention, but it wasn't as big as today where it's enough to, you know, generate enough ecosystem and all this sort of um, uh, support from the community to, to make it possible. So I kind of, uh, 
I kind of had to rely on some sort of. Basically, I was just ready to fall back on my savings in the beginning. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it must have been kind of scary for sure. I mean, did you ever uh, like kind of in the early days? Did you ever consider like not having it be an open source project, or did you know that it was like you know this is going to be an open source front end framework, and that uh, was kind of just how it was? Yeah, it, it has to be open source. That's the whole reason I'm doing it. Um, yeah. I, I just feel you know. It, it just feel because if you started as open source project and it only got traction because it's an open source project, uh, I don't think. In, interestingly, because uh, front end landscape is quite interesting. If you think about the, the the current generation of frameworks, one is from Google, one is from Facebook. Uh, Vue and Svelte are independent, uh, but but prior to that, there were actually successful. Uh, paying models in front end like Sencha, um, so they were actually making a lot of money. But their target really is these wholesale component suites to enterprise. Uh, if you're working in the framework layer, it's actually really difficult to monetize because they are these big players like Google and Facebook who don't really expect to make money from this. Uh, for them, it's more like. React is strategically more like a, a hiring hiring weapon. You know, uh, it creates this whole ecosystem of developers who are familiar with React, which makes it really easy for Facebook to hire people. Um, but for Vue, the the only reason that I'm working on it is because uh, it has created a lot of a, a very a very vibrant user community. People like it, and that's why I work on it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, there's like, there's definitely kind of that that network effect. I think in front end frameworks, like, were you, I guess, kind of acknowledging that? Were you? Did that even add more hesitation when you were starting with Vue? Like, you know, there's no way we can overcome these big players. Like, how did you? How did you get over that fear? Uh, it's a constant uphill battle. I mean, even today, like, where where I wouldn't say Vue has people still consider Vue the underdog when compared to React, right? Uh, it's it's much bigger in the early days, and it's funny enough, like ever since day one I released Vue, there's always been a, this kind of some user from like, oh, it's from an indie developer, it's gonna disappear next year. Every year I see a comment like that. It's funny, <laughs> right? It, it keeps going on. Uh, so um, I'm I'm kind of happy to to prove those people wrong, though. You know, it's it's always cool to to be able to just uh, I I think it. I kind of wanted wanted to talk about a bit about this uh, on Twitter, but it feels weird because uh, a lot of people seem to think React has won, quote quote won. Uh, they they believe oh it's the it's the React world. Everybody just learns React. Everybody uses React. But uh, in reality, uh, there are a huge group of developers outside the React world who just who don't use it. A lot of people st- like especially in PHP or WordPress world. A lot of people are still on jQuery. For them, even Vue is kind of like the new stuff, um, and and Vue itself has over 1.5 million weekly active users. Uh, and if you look at this, the DevTools extension number, Vue actually um, it definitely isn't small compared compared to React. They're on the same order of magnitude in terms of user count. So um, a lot of times, you know, Twitter really is kind of an echo chamber where. I sometimes kind of feel like, oh, why is everything in React? Because I follow a lot of people in the React ecosystem as well. But 
you know, in reality, when you look at the numbers, you realize, okay, like there are so many people, so many web developers in the world. It's extremely diverse. Like, even if you look at all the web component libraries, you know, sometimes numbers may surprise you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's 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 so many out there, and yeah, like so many so many players in the space. I guess yeah, yeah. kind of going back to the early days again when you were working on Vue, maybe like when you first had the dev tools installed. Were there any sites that you came across like big players that you were surprised, like oh, they're using Vue, like that's pretty cool. Were there any moments you had like that? Yeah, I guess Louis Vuitton is actually using oh, nice. Vue. <laughs> Yeah. Nice, yeah. And, and there are a lot of recent movie trailer sites are using Nuxt. Like the the Matrix 4 trailer site, the Dune trailer site, they're both using Nuxt. Um I was I, I just recently moved to Singapore. I was like buying furniture online and found out a few local Singapore furniture shops are using Vue. It's just it's always nice when I'm like I'm actually just randomly stumbled upon the site. I'm like, "Oh, wait. My DevTools icon light up." Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally, I have that experience all the time as well. I, I think I yeah. feel it more when I see, like, I'm on a big player's site, and I just wouldn't expect them to be using Vue. I'd expect, you know, like a React shop or yeah. something, but it's always cool. I should have, like, came up with a list before I got on here, but I feel like that happens, like, at least a few times a week. I'm always like, cool, look, Vue, it's happening. Yeah, um, yeah cool. I guess kind of on that, while we're in this mode of, like, comparing frameworks a little bit, um, I feel like a lot of people think... Uh, about like Angular, kind of when Vue was starting, mm-hmm. how Angular was in its kind of transitionary period, and that led to a lot of Vue success. Do you think that that's true? Um, hmm. I honestly don't know. Um, I think Angular still kind of largely appeals to a very its own dedicated group of dev- developers coming from a more Java, C sharp, enterprisey background. Because uh, the thing is about Angular is if you're a Java developer, it feels very, very, you you will feel very at home in Angular. Uh, both went in two. A lot of concepts kind of carry through, right? Um, but if you are a, say, like me, I'm self-taught uh, in, in terms of web development, uh, or you're, you're kind of coming from a designer background, or you're just starting from basic HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Angular will feel very intimidating. So I think Vue's um, initial success or Vue's long-term success has always been based on this sort of, we assume our users, uh, we re- first we acknowledge the fact that web development has a very low barrier of entry, right? You can literally just open an HTML file and you can write a web page without any prior knowledge, right? So we kind of want to use that as the base baseline. Like, how can we have someone with just the basic, basic HTML and JavaScript knowledge and be able to build something interactive? Uh, and that's always been the premise of Vue. Uh, so, so to this day, we still kind of, we guarantee that like every build of Vue will always be usable without build step. You can pull it directly from a CDN with, with no NPM whatsoever. Um, and, and you can write it directly in an HTML file. The whole application can be in a single HTML file. That's the, um, and it can be used in production. I mean, people kind of use the argument all the time. They go, you can use the whole JSX transform in the browser too, but you wouldn't do that in production. Uh, but, but you can shift something like with Vue to production, and a lot of people actually do that. Uh, people use it as a jQuery replacement uh, in some cases. All right, so, um, 
So that's kind of an important factor. I think this this really kind of uh, helped people from the the back end back end developers from uh, like the PHP developers, uh, Laravel developers. They loved Vue a lot. Um, so I think a big uh, a big adoption wave came from the Laravel community when um, when Taylor Otwell, author of Laravel, started using Vue himself and. Uh, uh, and it kind of resonated with them because uh, it, it it just felt easier uh, to, to pick up for backend developers. And I think that's uh, sometimes, you know, uh, senior developers like to talk about how like simple is not easy and, and they kind of imply that something being easy means it doesn't scale or it, it's inferior in some other aspects. But I think, you know, in, in practice, easiness is underrated. Uh because in the end, in the world, not all software, uh, like like software, are, are meant to meant to solve problems. And having an easy tool to have to solve that problem in itself has value. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to always craft the most delicate and sophisticated software uh, in order to solve a problem. If you have a hammer, then can solve a problem. Use that hammer, right? Uh, so so in that sense, view is always trying to be the pragmatic solution uh, instead of being the one where you can say, oh, look how advanced I am. Uh, look how, yeah. like, what crazy patent I just invented with this framework, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of get in that head, that headspace, like, you know, oh, CRUD apps are solved and, like, the front, front ends that aren't complicated, you know, they all work well and everything's yeah. fine. But I feel like, I don't know, yeah. if I'm just reflecting on even like the UIs I've used in the past day, like there's been several where there's like some crippling front end bug happening. And it's like, you know, there's just like the tooling isn't there to help these people build sites easily. At least they're not finding it. Um, Yeah. So I I totally agree. Yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah. Let's see. I think like, I kind of wanted to start talking about newer stuff here. Um, Again, I I feel most listeners are probably familiar with like view at least. And, you know, it's like, Comparing Vue and React isn't that interesting, um, and, <laughs> except for in a couple narrow cases. Um, but can we kind of yeah. talk a little bit about um, like the shift to V3 um, and what you think are some of the cool new features that like people who are familiar but haven't used Vue in a while, they might want to come back and check out? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Vue 3, at the fundamental level, uh, there's just a lot of um, fundamental improvements like it's smaller because it's now tree shakeable a lot of parts are tree shakeable uh, it's faster I mean if you do a rewrite and it's not faster it probably failed uh, so luckily we have very pretty significant performance improvements compared to v2 um, it has better typescript support um, significantly improved and in fact in the past year we spent a lot of a lot of the efforts in the surrounding supporting tools of the framework, like uh, we have a new DevTools extension that supports both Vue 2 and Vue 3, um, and it's also extensible. So uh, you can actually write your own. You, if you have a library, you want to lock some events into the Vue DevTools, you can actually do that. Uh, and then we have a new uh, VS Code ID extension, which has significantly better uh Overall, the, the tooling support is, is just significantly improved. Now, in, even inside the template, you get TSX-like type inference and type checking and everything. So it feels like TypeScript is part of the you know, part of your view single file component. Um, and then 
Service side rendering also greatly improved performance. And probably the most significant part about user-facing API is obviously the composition API, um, which is inspired by React hooks. A lot of people say, oh, it's just React hooks. Well, I kind of have to explain every time. No, it's not. Uh, the two kind of works. So like when you extract a reusable function, you know, the pattern looks very similar, but fundamentally the how they work is very different. So Vue is kind of like one shot. You set up all these objects once and then you just reference them. Uh, it's it's it, it, it kind of represents two, two ways of thinking about reactivity in front end. React is like, let's go immutable. Uh, we're gonna pull the world, pull the world every time we render. Whereas Vue is, uh, let's go truly reactive. We have op- these reactive objects that you're gonna hold a reference to, and you watch them. If they change, something happens. Um, it's quite interesting, um, but but I'm, I won't go too much into that. But for Vue itself, composition API uh, unlocks a lot of interesting capabilities. Like people kind of. What people were excited about with hooks, uh, Composition API can do a lot of that too. You can extract your custom utilities, use this, use that. Um, but at the same time, it also has better TypeScript support. Uh, and more importantly, it's a, it's a similar argument for how hooks improve the code organization compared to class-based components in the sense that uh, you're no longer bound to a, a this context. Um, you're not able to move around and organize your code just like normal functions. Uh, so that um, it, it's a it's an interesting trade-off because like we've gone through a lot of debate on the introduction of the composition API, and the consensus now inside the team is that it essentially because it's more free form, it allows beginners to write worse code, slightly worse code. But it also, but it allows experienced developers to write significantly better code. Uh, so that's the trade-off we're we're kind of taking. So uh, so you can think of the options API versus the composition API. Uh, the design trade-off is options API is like even if you give it to beginners, they can write somewhat okay code, but when they write very complex components, it's going to be a mess. Uh, with composition API. Uh, Oh, and the problem with Options API is even in the hands of experienced developers, they sometimes will struggle to make things maintainable. But with Composition API, it's sort of like if if you're experienced, you can organize it just like how you write normal JavaScript because we as developers, we know how to organize functions, extract functions, type them, organize them, test them, right? So Composition API makes that all the same with normal JavaScript code. So you can apply all your code skills on them. But on the other hand, if you're if you don't know how to write good code in the first place, you might still write a mess. Right. So um, it, it's kind of unavoidable. So uh, which is why um, we we still don't really tell people to say, oh, you should, uh, hey, you should definitely go with options API or you should definitely go with composition API. So we're currently working on the new docs where we try to explicitly discuss what I just talked about, like how, in what situation you might want to consider this, in what situation you want, might want to consider that, because in a lot of times, really, there, it, it's not a one-size-for-all kind of situation. Um, so so I guess the, the best way for us to solve that is 
to to explain that with documentation to to give people help people understand when they should use what like what fits them specifically better because different experience level kind of you you will it'll probably suit uh, one API will suit you better based on your experience level. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, again, like I'm kind of a hobbyist view dev, like that's what I like to do my side projects and stuff. And so I'm in that space a lot where I'm like, you know, Googling stuff and trying to read the docs. Um, I have found recently that like with the, you know, like the composition and the options API both out there now, I found it a little bit harder to like, you know, uh, search for and find an answer to a specific problem because both exists and there's like conversations happening around happening around both. Did you kind of anticipate that increase in complexity around the discussion of how view works? That definitely is a problem. Uh, I think it's interesting because we, um, for the past year, it's it's pretty pretty much a transition period where because both APIs exist and we were. I wish we did the the we push out the new docs earlier, but um, I just spent way too much time on Vite. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, I'm but, excited but, to talk about yeah. Vite too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. but but I think definitely the new documentation probably should have been out there earlier to give people a clear picture of like what to give people the guidance, you know, uh, right now the confusion mainly comes from when you're searching for something, uh, the docs itself is still like the main paragraphs are in options API and then constitution API is like kind of tucked away in a separate section. Kind of like how the React docs has been, right? It's it's like still class API and then hooks is in the separate section. But I think the React world has pretty much consolidated on hooks, whereas in the view world, we're probably going to see them coexist for a bit longer. Um, which is one of the reasons why we work on syntax trigger like script setup to help make composition API more ergonomic to use because um, the the little bit more verbose verbosity when you're using it is what turned a lot of people away. But but we believe with uh, more compile time, you know, uh, we're actually investing more in the compiler front because uh, we can see how compile time optimizations and syntax transforms can unlock both performance and uh, development experience gains. So script setup is uh, inspired by Svelte, right? So we essentially took some of the good parts from hooks and also some good parts from Svelte. And now you have a, uh, a very concise, succinct syntax for using composition API within single file view components. At the same time, the, the benefit of that this is Vue's uh, reactivity system. The Composition API works both in and out of components. It's the same API. So you can move any code inside a big component out of your component and refactor it or um, extract it into re- reusable functions. You can do that very easily. Uh, so it's not bound to a component-based compilation model. So... Uh, I think we we hit a pretty good sweet spot in in this in terms of uh, having decent in component ergonomics versus still being able to uh, allow refactoring, extraction, and cross component logic reuse. Um, and that's um, yeah. So so this will be essentially be the the focus of the new documentation. We want to highlight because we we arrived at this. After a long time, a lot of these went, RFCs went through some really long discussions. So uh, 
the new docs is essentially trying to consolidate all of this. Like this is the new recommendation. If you want to use uh, Composition API, uh, it'll give you a quite. I would say it's it's quite different from what Vue two looks like. But I I believe a lot of developers uh, will feel actually right at home because the fun fundamental concepts in Vue is still the same. It's the same reactivity model. It's the same template syntax. Uh, all the component built-in directives and features are the same. So it's really just a, a more flexible way of expressing your stateful logic. Yep, totally. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like yeah. Every time, every time I've delved in, I'm always like, oh yeah. I feel like I'm just kind of writing more functional JavaScript code, and it's always it's really nice <laughs> when I'm putting those together. Um, so I I agree. Uh, Evan, when you guys were writing up kind of the the composition API, and again, it's it's loosely modeled over. Uh, loosely modeled on React hooks. Do you worry about devs when they're coming over who are super familiar with hooks, like mm -hmm. conflating those two ideas and like how they work under the hood? Uh, I don't think that's a big concern because, um, so funny enough, you need to really understand how hooks work to be able to use it. Um, so when people come over, I think the uh, the common confusion. I've seen is people assume that uh, simple variable destructors would stay reactive, um, whereas in Vue you kind of have to switch your mindset back to so so people when people use React hooks for a long time, your mind gets reconfigured by React, and, and you start to think everything in hooks mental model, and but when you use Vue you kind of have to switch back to normal JavaScript heuristics. Uh, so basically, if you destructure an object, destructure properties of an object, it loses the connection to the original object, right? That's how JavaScript usually works, and it's the same way in Vue. Uh, that's probably the only thing that trips people up if they if they're coming from hooks, but they they would adjust really quickly because they're basically just trying to say, oh, I'm no longer using React hooks. This is just like normal JavaScript. Uh, if I want things to stay reactive. Just keep accessing it from the original object. Yeah, gotcha. Totally cool. Yeah, again, I, I I just like they function differently, so I wonder I wonder if other devs like you know would have those kinds of issues. Um, but gotcha. I guess the only other kind of big view three migration question I have is: mm -hmm. Are there like have the libraries been slower to migrate than you anticipated? Um, uh, I'm thinking like uh, mm -hmm. Bootstrap view, Beautify. Yeah. Yeah, view material. Yeah, uh, it's somewhat anticipated. I mean, I anticipated the migration to be slow uh, because when we started the redesign, I knew that for for better internal implementations, for better performance and memory usage, we had to completely rewrite the virtual DOM implementation. And um, as a result of that, some of the Internals of like say how a V node is represented and how they are created uh, was reworked, um, and because of the structure changes of the V nodes, uh, it, which was technically a private API, people should not rely on it. But unfortunately, a lot of the libraries, especially the ones that has complex like UI components, um, sometimes they reach for those things, and uh, Beautify One relied on a lot on these. Uh, I know, like Chakra UI View also did this. So, 
we evaluated this during, when working on the migration build, and I was able to get some of the basic components that's not using the private APIs to work. But unfortunately, uh, getting all these existing libraries to be 100% compatible uh, is just very, it's just way too costly. Um, so the migration build eventually only focus on the public APIs. So if your library only uses the public APIs, there's a very good chance that it'll just work. For example, uh, the migration build was able to work with the Vue 2 version of the Vue router and Vue X without much modification. Um, and then you can, so in our migration example, there is a step-by-step -step commits. We moved to the Hacker News view View two example to view three. Uh, it's uh, so also moved to from Webpack to Vite in the process, and then we swapped view two with view three migration build. Then we swapped away the uh, the view router. Then we swapped away view view X. So that all worked, um, but you know in practice when you have a large library with a long history, uh, there's just always be this technical debt where uh, people reach for your private APIs and rely on specific behavior, uh, which are particularly difficult to retain when you are doing a, a big refactor or a rewrite. You know. Gotcha. Yeah, cool. Um, I guess, yeah, the only other, I think we have a, one, we'll have some more time for listener questions here, but one of those was, um, how long until Vue 3 is no longer Vue Next and it's like the main version? <laughs> Well, uh, I originally hoped I could do that before I move, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't able to. And now after the move, it's uh, it's been a battle going back into work because of all the post-move, cross-continent move logistics. And then uh, the kids can't really go to school until January, so uh, it's been a bit tough getting stable work hours in. Uh, but... <clears throat> We're really hoping to do that as soon as we can, and that is the the the, the only blocker left. Really, is the documentation. Uh, the new documentation is currently uh, being worked on. It's completely redesigned, with almost all the chapters uh, l receiving major revisions to reflect composition API usage, latest best practices. Uh, we also sort of updated some of the framework level concepts and descriptions because Vue has evolved from just library into more like a proper framework. Um, so a lot of this work going into the new documentation and hopefully um, I don't want to rush it because I really want to, you know, we, we take documentation really, really seriously. Uh, so we really want to, you know, show it, show the best form of it. So um, at this stage, I think it's probably realistic to aim for Christmas. With that, let's uh, let's talk about Vite a little bit. Uh, yeah. Maybe just for listeners, I feel like it's probably not quite as pervasive. Can you explain what mm -hmm. Vite is? Yeah, so uh, Vite is a new build tool that I worked on uh, since early last year. Um, so it's not really that new. It's it's been out for over hmm, how long has it been out? It's quite quite a long time now. Uh, crazy to think about, but. Um, but anyway, if you use Webpack, Vite is uh, think of Vite as a a combination of Webpack plus Webpack CLI plus Webpack Dev Server plus a bunch of config loaders that you have to write yourself. But they are all sort of works out of the box. 
and it's lighter, it's faster. Um, in, in some cases, the, the speed difference can be quite astonishing. Uh, you kind of have to try it yourself. Uh, if you're React Dev and you still use Create React apps, uh, try run npm init vite now. Uh, and uh, just just test the test the speed difference yourself. Uh, I think that's the best explanation. But uh, internally, uh, the key feature of Vite is that the, its dev server is unbundled. So uh, your modules, your source modules, are served over native ES modules, ESM, by the browser. And we do compilation transforms on the fly. And uh, over ESM, we are able to implement extremely fast hot module replacement. Uh, and more importantly, the hot module replacement performance is decoupled from the total size of modules. Um, so this is what makes it fundamentally better in large projects. When you have a project with a uh, thousand components, right? Uh, and and with with Webpack, you probably experience like you save something, you wait a few seconds for it to change, and even with hot module replacement, it's still like two to three seconds, right? But with Vite, it's always going to be a hundred milliseconds, uh, regardless how many components you have. Um, so that significantly increases the the feedback loop just just like accelerates your feedback loop, so you can stay in the zone. You can constantly make tweaks without having to like wait for it to update. Uh, like personally, for me, you know, after I I successfully implement the hot module replacement, I just could never go back to Webpack anymore. Um, yeah, and another part of it is we use ES Build, uh, which is a Go based. Um, JavaScript transpiler slash bundler. Um, it's a very awesome project by Evan Wallace. He's the CTO of Figma. Um, and we use ESBuild inside Vite as the pre-bundler, which handles your pre-bundles, your dependencies. We use it to transpile TypeScript and TSX and JSX. We use it to do CSS and JavaScript minification. So Vite is sort of this hybrid tool where we... Um, we leverage these native parts whenever possible. Like in the dev server, we leverage browsers native ESM. On the build tooling side, we try to leverage ES build whenever possible because it's just so fast. But uh, we also recognize that uh, for JS developers, it's important to have a plugin system that you can understand and easily write plugins for, which is why Vite is also compatible with Rollup so um, we use Rollup for production build under the hood, but uh, during development, even though we're not using Rollup for development, we do allow Rollup compatible plugins that'll work both in development and production. So we simulate a Rollup plugin pipeline during development so that your plugins can work. It's uh, actually, you can directly use a lot of Rollup plugins in Vite and it'll work in development too. So this is why, um, the uh, the current maintainer of Rollup actually recommends Vite as the dev server for for Rollup. So if you're using still using plain Rollup, you should really switch to Vite. Uh, you're still using Rollup under the hood, but you get a better dev server experience. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I guess personally, I can speak to that as well. Like I remember spinning up my first Vite project and being like just blown away, like so fast, making large scale changes and like changing dependencies and stuff is just like staggeringly quick. Um, I guess, yeah, like 
Is there any any other motivation for people using Webpack, especially Webpack mm-hmm. like without Babel? Because I feel like that's what's really slowing down a lot of those yeah. bills. Like, is there anything in particular you'd recommend? Like, you I guess you'd say to them to persuade them to come give Vita a shot. Um, I mean, if they are happy with Webpack, like I don't. The funny thing is, a lot of people ask me that question, and my stance is that uh, you you should try it regardless. Uh, because it's likely faster, like even if you're not using Babel, uh, but but whether it's worth it is is up to you. Because um, the the reason I built Vite is not to convince people to switch from Webpack. That is not my goal, right? And there are actually also cases where Webpack is sort of uh, Webpack has features that Vite doesn't do, and it's totally fine. Uh, the the key idea is. Um, Vite is is designed to be a happy path for maybe eighty to ninety percent of average web developers who don't really want to hand tune every single config that that build tool has to offer. They're like, I just want a build tool that works, allow me to ship stuff. And Vite is again, you know, I, I always try to do pragmatic tools. Uh, if you have a ninety percent common case. Uh, that can be solved in a simpler and faster way. Uh, there should be a something for that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean this tool should replace the tool that was there before it. Maybe now they just each fit a better niche, each fit uh, a better you know use case. Um, there's probably still overlap, and if it overlaps, you probably want to use the faster tool. But uh, but again, you know, it's it's not the goal to say. Uh, to, to, to replace a competitor. It's the goal is to make more developers being able to build things faster. Gotcha. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess while, while we're on the topic of replacement, mm-hmm. um, do you think Vite will ever like replace or consume Nuxt's Webpack like default? Uh, I hope so. Um, so Nuxt 3 has been made compatible with Vite, both Vite and Webpack. Um, I think the smart move from the next team is making Nux Core essentially build tool agnostic in some way. Uh, I think they did this mostly because they designed Nux 3 in the beginning to also be uh, end deployment environment agnostic in the sense that it can be deployed not just as a Node.js, long-running Node.js process, but also for you know, serverless functions, Cloudflare workers, and all those environments. They had those in mind when they first designed the thing. So um, it also makes sense to sort of decouple it itself from the, the build tool, if possible. Although uh, I don't really know, I haven't really looked into the, the trade-offs that they made in this, because I think by making a framework, a meta framework build tool agnostic, there's probably some trade-offs in it. Uh, I'm not fully aware of that because I haven't really read the read the code, but um, but there are a lot of uh, interesting solutions that's uh, specifically Vite based. Like Svelkit is Vite based, Astro is now Vite based. Um, uh, Shopify's new framework, React framework Hydrogen, is Vite based. It also supports React server components. Uh, there's also some framework agnostic Vite SSR solutions like Vite plugin SSR, and which is uh, which is you can render Vue or React or other com- frameworks using that. But 
it's kind of like a meta framework for frameworks framework for meta framework sort of yeah. <laughs> uh yeah yeah so so it's uh I, I think this whole space the the vt dev tool space uh is is super interesting because we originally i created it only for view but after realizing it could be just framework agnostic, it actually now have this very, very cool ecosystem of cross-component uh, collaboration, a uh, cross-framework co- collaboration, like uh, SolidJS, Marco team, uh, Svelte team, and Astral and Vue, of course. Like our our build tooling is now all aligned with Beat, and uh, so anything that we commonly share between the frameworks. Uh, we can we can sort of drop it down into Vite and make it benefit more people. Um, okay, so we do have some listener questions. We got quite a few listener questions. We don't have time for all of them, um, but here's one that I think is interesting. Uh, you touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but um, what motivates you to do what others don't, and how do you deal with burnouts? Um, I guess the motivation is really knowing that my work makes people's life easier. Um, I mean, I also make money from it, which is good. Uh, but but uh, that's kind of like when I started doing it, the motivation is primarily because I want to, because people use my software. And when I see people use my software and they're like, wow, this makes my life so much easier. Thank you. Uh, these are the really like the, the, the main reason for me to, to keep doing open source. Um, and this, another important part is because we, we started to have, a, when Vue got a little bigger, we had started to have these offline conferences. And when I meet people offline, this feeling kind of realizes much more intensively. Like when people come into in front of you, shake your hand and like, thank you so much for making Vue. You know, that feeling is really like something you don't get by, you know, doing a nine to five office work. Uh, I never experienced that when I was just, you know, being an employer. But uh, when you when you create something that you you major you, that you sort of um, you put it out into the world and people start appreciating it, it's it's really amazing. So um, for me, that's that's the the main motivation, really. Awesome. Um, and another one: uh, if you had to start over, what would be the biggest rework you would do? Rework. Um. I would probably um, design the whole migration, view two to view three migration, a bit better. Uh, I think I think we tried our best, but you know, looking back, you can always do better uh, with with all the things you hindsight that you now have. Um, we could have uh, probably avoided some of the small breakages that caused. Uh, too much you know uh, like there are some small breakages but kind of makes the whole upgrading process more net difficult than it should be um so if we had time to go back i would probably you know tweak it a bit more so that they have smaller impact in the whole migration process sure well evan thank you so much this has been awesome thank you so much for coming on pod rocket we really appreciate it thank Um, you Yeah, great questions. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Evan. Super nice to meet you. Good chatting. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. 
Find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at LogRocket.